Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. This morning, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. I'll be reading verses 43 to 48 here in just a little bit. Today, I want to talk to you about tough love but not necessarily in the way you normally think of that particular phrase, because when you hear the word tough love, you normally think about, you know, a situation where somebody's life has gone wrong, they've made some poor life decisions and choices, and they're not listening to reason. And so you want to give them a taste of reality. Shock them maybe into changing their ways. You show them tough love. You do something that will hopefully, you know, It might be temporarily painful for them, but then hopefully lead them back to the right path. That's normally what you think of when you think of tough love. But that's not the kind of tough love that I'm talking about today, although some of us might need it and some of us might know some people who need that. But the type of tough love that I'm talking about today, the way that I'm using that phrase, is there's this love that is hard to do. There is a love that is hard to do to show. It's a tough love because it's tough to live out. It goes against our natural tendencies to have this kind of love. It's tough love because it's tough to demonstrate the kind of love that we are urged to have by Jesus himself in this passage. Because here we are in the, in the Sermon on the Mount and, and Jesus is talking about kingdom values. Being part of the kingdom. What are the values of being part of that kingdom? How do you live as a member of the kingdom of Jesus Christ? And I guess you could say that if you stubbornly refuse to live out these values, if you stubbornly refuse to show the kind of love he's talking about today, he might show you some tough love of the first kind that I mentioned earlier. But if we are to reflect our Savior, we reflect this kind of love because it's the same love that He has shown us. So what is this love that I'm talking about? Well, let me demonstrate it through a story. So there there was this missionary couple who had returned stateside and they rented a house. And, and, And they got the house all cleaned up and looking nice. The house next door was for sale and was purchased by a family that we might say was from the other side of the tracks, I guess would be a way to put it. They played loud, obnoxious music all the time. Their house and yard was constantly in shambles. They constantly cursed and all sorts of foul things came out of their mouth. And, you know, it just kind of kept escalating from there. Well, the straw that, that kind of broke the camel's back was when one of, the, one of the kids, one of the neighbor's kids, crawled or climbed over the fence, the back fence, and took orange paint and splattered it all over the white siding of the missionary's house along the back porch. When the wife found out, she wanted to go over there and give them a piece of her mind and let them have it. I mean, that sounds like a natural reaction. But then God got a hold of her and reminded her that they were lost and they needed a loving touch from Christ through a Christian. Christians are called to love even their worst enemies. And forgiveness is a good step toward love. So instead of going over there and kind of blasting them out, 
You know how Christians, we like to Christianize that. I'm going to go bless them. Well, no. If you're going to go curse someone out, that's not blessing them one bit. So don't, don't ever say that. So instead of going over there to bless them, to blast them, she baked some cookies and took them over to the neighbors and began to show them the love of Christ. Now, if that were you, what would you do in that situation? I mean, here are people who are hostile toward you. I mean, you might call them enemies because of what they do. And yet here is the tough love we are called to. Love your enemies. That's not natural. Frankly, when someone does something to you in some way, shape, or form, your knee-jerk reaction is not love. You know, when I see someone on the TV sort of proud and blaring out to the world how many abortions they've had, and they're proud of it. When I see people on the TV who are promoting a perverse lifestyle and want to corrupt their kids and other kids with that perverse lifestyle. When I see people on the TV or hear them on the radio, these false teachers who are spreading a gospel that is not the gospel, who are perverting the gospel in some way, shape, or form, love is not my first reaction. In fact, being a Star Wars fan, that's when I begin to wish that I had some of the force powers that they had in Star Wars. I just want to use some force lightning and just zap them. Or do the whole force choke thing, you know, when Vader just goes, mm, trying to choke them out. That's my knee-jerk reaction. Strangely enough, if my sermon goes too long, I see some people out in the congregation going like that too. That's not what we're called to, though. We're not called to force lightning or force choke anyone like that. What we're called to is not something natural. In fact, it's supernatural. It is a tough love to show. But with the Holy Spirit, it's possible. And so, in this passage, Jesus talks about the values that we live as members of his kingdom. And... In a, in, a, in a verse that comes earlier, in verse 20, he, he says that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you're never going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. You've got to have a righteousness that is more than what the scribes and Pharisees have, and they were the religious people of, of the day. But to demonstrate what he means by that, he, he goes on to several comparisons of what God's Word says, what, how it's normally interpreted, but it, what it really was supposed to mean, what it was really supposed to convey. And so, you know, each section it begins with, you have heard that it was said of old, and then Jesus says what the normal interpretation of the law is, and then Jesus says, but I say to you, and then he goes into, well, this is what it really means. This is what it means to be a member of the kingdom. This, this is how your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. You've heard it said of old to do this, but I say this is really what it means. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees, they might follow the letter of the law, but this is what the spirit of the law really means. And this is what it's meant all along, they just didn't know it. 
And so now we're looking at one of these comparisons and contrasts. And, and what we find is that Jesus stated that the righteousness that reflects the kingdom of God, the righteousness that reflects kingdom values includes loving people that we would not naturally love. And so what I want us to take away today is that this ethical value that reflects that we are a part of Christ's kingdom includes a supernatural love for even our worst enemy. So what does Jesus say about this? In verses 43 through 48, if you'll stand in reverence to the reading of God's holy word as I read this passage. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, I mean, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please help us with this. This is definitely one of those passages that our naturalness, our natural being just fights against. Right now, Lord, our teeth are clenched against this. Open up our hearts and minds to these truths, Lord. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. What does te Jesus teach us about this tough love? There's just going to be four lessons we want to look at today. First, this tough love requires a change of heart. This tough love requires a change of heart. Jesus says in this passage, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That doesn't come naturally. It requires a change of heart. Now, when Jesus' audience had heard this at first, they would have recognized the first part as being part of Leviticus 19.18. That calls people to love your neighbor. I mean, elsewhere, Jesus tells us that's the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. And in all honesty, Jesus' audience would have been fine with him saying that well yeah it's in the law that sounds good but the reason that that they loved you know they were fine with him saying it is because of what they defined a neighbor as being it meant family friends and other part other people in your religious community love your neighbor no problem i can love my friends family and and other people in my religious community and so because of that narrow view of neighbor over the 1400 or so years since Moses gave the commandment up to Jesus's day the Jews added to that saying you shall love your neighbor and you shall hate your enemy because I mean if you love your neighbor it only makes sense that you hate your enemy right that was the teaching of the day that was the natural thing to do love people in your circle hate those outside your circle hate the enemies but the problem is that that part of the phrase is not found in the Old Testament. That part of the phrase isn't found anywhere in Scripture. They just kind of added to it because, it, again, it was their natural reaction. But what's funny is there's, there's several verses in the Old Testament 
that actually go against that whole idea. I'll just share a couple of them. For, for example, Proverbs 25, 21 says, If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. Or in Exodus 23, verses 4 and 5, If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it, you shall rescue it with him. I mean, that, that, that sounds like it would be pretty clear. But no, if I'm going to love, love my neighbor, that means I hate my enemy. I guess they added that to make them feel better about themselves because they hated their enemies. And so this is just the natural thing to do. This is fallen human nature. Hey, if you're going to love people, you hate people, right? That's how it works. You love those who who you love, and then you hate those who you, you hate. There's problems with that, though. Because one, their, their idea of neighbor was way too narrow. That is not what neighbor meant. In fact, right, Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan kind of expanded the whole concept of being a neighbor to mean, well, everybody. Everybody's your neighbor. And then secondly, I mean, God's word clearly says, do good to your enemies. So, but my natural tendency is to hate my enemies. That's why you need a change of heart in Jesus Christ. It's a change of heart that only Jesus can provide. When you are born again, and then through the power of the Holy Spirit, because even us Christians fight against that. Even us Christians, us, oh yeah, I'm so holy, church-going Christian. You, you have an enemy? You know, you just want, you just want to. No, it's a change of heart. Jesus says, love your enemy. And not just like love them like, uh, as in, okay, I won't say mean things about them or something. It's not just something like passive. Jesus is calling to something active. He says, pray for them. Pray for those who persecute you. You are called this love isn't just a lack of hostility. It's actually an active desiring the benefit of your enemy. He is calling us to love and seek the benefit of those. Yeah, they might not love us back. They may even still seek to do us harm. We're to love them, and we're to actively love them. We're to seek for their welfare. We are to seek for their goodwill. And of course, the greatest goodwill would be to share Jesus with them. And to be Jesus, you know, let Jesus be him through you so that they know and they learn and they come to him. Now, having said that, I want to make something clear because there are those that are on the more progressive leaning side of Christianity that twist this to mean that you, that means you can't point out sin. If you tell someone that they're in sin, they're in a lifestyle of sin, what they're doing is sin, oh, you're hating your enemy. Wait a minute now. What could be more loving than warning someone about something that they're doing that harms them? I mean, if someone was about to drink poison, would you tell them, 
don't do it, it's poison, or would you say, well, you know, that's your choice and it's your lifestyle. You can choose to do with that what you want. Which one's more loving? Well, dummy, tell them not drink the poison. And yet they say, oh, no, you can't point out people's sins. Yeah, guess what? Their sin is harming them. We love them when we point them to the ultimate good. And that is Jesus Christ. And the reason we do this is the second lesson for today. The tough love that I'm talking about is a reflection of our Heavenly Father. This tough love, it reflects our Heavenly Father. Jesus says you do that so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the, the unjust. Because when you love your enemies, you are like your heavenly Father. You are like Jesus the Savior. Why do we say that? Because God has loved his enemies. God loves a sinful, rebellious humanity. How did God love his enemies? Well, Jesus, there's two ways I want to talk about, and Jesus here in the passage talks about the first. It's what theologians call common grace. Through God's providence, he provides for and he sustains his image bearers even when they're in rebellion against him. Jesus said that God makes the sun rise on both the good and the evil. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust, and the Jews were an agricultural society. I mean, rain and sun were, were good things for them. And he says, well, your father, he gives that stuff to everybody. I mean, it's, God doesn't just make it rain on believers and righteous people, and then it's complete famine on unrighteous people or, or something, you know. He, he allows the sun to shine on both the righteous and the unrighteous, the evil and, and the good. He gives these things to everybody. I mean, common grace is God providing for the needs of everybody, whether a believer or not. Because unbelievers in our day and age, they have homes and they have jobs and they have vehicles and they have food and they have safety, and just like believers do. Now, they don't recognize that it comes from God, but that's what God does. This is God showing them love. And according to Romans 2.4, God gives them this goodness so that they would come to repentance. But there is another way that God shows love to his enemies, in that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for their sins. Because everybody's an enemy of God to begin with when they're in their sin. Everyone is in a hostile relationship with God because of the justice that he demands to be dealt with, to deal with sin. And yet, even when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even when we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. God gave his most prized possession to his enemies. God gave his everything for his enemies. And so here we are, sons and daughters of God, through Jesus Christ. Do we think that we are to love people any less than him? Do, do we think that somehow we're more morally superior to God, so we're going to choose who we're going to love and who we're not going to love? Because even being wronged, even being rebelled against, God loves people. He loved people to send Christ, and even Christ, when he was having the nails put through his hands and feet, he cried out, Lord, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And he willingly gave himself for them, for us, out of love, 
out of love for an ungrateful and unlovable people, which is us. And so, because God so loved his enemies, do we think we get a pass on loving our enemies in the same way? Do we actually think we have a right to hold on to our grudges and cling to our bitterness and hate people because of what they've done? Because just imagine if God had that attitude. Imagine if God acted that way. Guess what? We'd be lost. But God so loved. And it, again, just to be clear, you know, it's just sad. I have to be clear about this kind of thing because there's so many false teachers out there. God's love is not such that he just winks at sin. God's love is not just such that he overlooks sin and pats the sinner on the head and says, well, you know, try better next time. God's love does not somehow trump his holiness and his righteousness and his justice. I mean, because God's attributes can't be separated like that. They all work together. It was at the cross of Jesus Christ that love for enemies and his justice for sin met, and both were satisfied. God shows his love, God demonstrates his love in that while we're sinners, while we're enemies, while we're in a hostile relationship to God, Christ died for us. And that's the love we're called to. When we show love like that, desiring the ultimate good for those who hate us and persecute us and mock us and you know, try to destroy us or whatever, then we are most like our Savior, then we are most like our heavenly Father, who is in heaven. But then Jesus continues this lesson by, number three, he tells us that this tough love reaches beyond the norm. It reaches beyond the norm. It goes a little bit further than we think of when we think of love. Because he says, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? I mean, don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brothers, well, more, than, more are you doing than the others? Don't even the Gentiles do that? I mean, because it's natural to love people who are in your circle. It's natural to love people who love you back, who love you in return. It is natural, and honestly, it's easier to treat people with honor and respect who are like you and who love you back and honor and respect you back. But Jesus says, okay, if you only love those who love you and honor you and respect you and, and are in your circle, inner circle, I mean, how, how different are you from unbelievers? What makes you different than unbelievers? Because don't unbelievers love the people in their circle and the people who love them and respect them and honor them as well? But guess what? Unbelievers don't love those who hurt them, hate them, or are opposed to them in some way, shape, or form. And so if you only love those who love you, you only are friendly to those who are friendly to you, how are you any different from an unbeliever? I mean, if you claim to have believed in Jesus Christ and you have the Holy Spirit within you, influencing you and guiding you, but then all you do is love other Christians, what makes you different? What makes you different from those who don't know Jesus? Because they do, they do the same thing. And so Jesus says, be different. What makes you distinctly Christian, what makes this love so out there, is, is that you go beyond the norm of loving the people in your circle and loving those who love you, and you love everybody, even people who don't like you, even people who hate you, even those who have set themselves up against you as an enemy. 
We desire the goodwill and prosperity and peace for all people. We want all people to be saved, even those who, in, those who insult us and mock us and, and treat us shamefully and persecute us and, and, and the like. Because the rest of the world, the world loves its own. But Christian love, the love that, that reflects the values of the kingdom, loves even the most despicable, vile, hateful, sickening person that you can think of. How do I know that? Well, God loved me. So, I'm about as vile and despicable as I can come up with. God so loved me. We, sh we extend that same love toward others as well. And, and so really, the love that, that Jesus is talking about in our passage, we, we could say, not only does it you know, talk about the objects of our love, referring to the objects of our love, which is everyone, including our enemies, but it, it, it talks about the degree of love, the type of love that we have. Because, again, the, the love that God showed humanity is not toleration. Like God is just tolerating with people, right? God's love is way beyond that. You know, he gave his son. So it's not mere toleration. You know, we're not just supposed to endure people, put up with people. God doesn't just put up with us. He desired the best for us, and he sent Jesus Christ. That's the type of love. It's agape love. It's sacrificial love where, where we want the best for the object of that love. Even our enemies. It means you go out of your way so you can bless your enemy. Not bless like what I was talking about earlier when, when we say, oh, I'm going to bless them out. No. I mean talking true blessing, spiritual blessing. And we pray for our enemies. And we want the best for our enemies. And we do it with the right heart of attitude knowing that we're being like our Savior, knowing that, that we're living like a child of God, a member of his eternal kingdom. Loving your enemies and loving everyone is not this kind of, oh, if I have to, kind of thing. It's a lifestyle of doing what needs to be done so that everyone around us knows the love of God. And we're the conduit through knowing that love of God. Now quickly, I want to talk about the fourth lesson that Jesus gives about this love. Because this tough love routes us to our intended purpose. It points us, it, it focuses us, it, 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 it sends us to what our intended purpose is meant to be. Because Jesus ends this section in, in verse 48, that you, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And we read that and we're freaking out because, wait a minute, there's no one in the world that can be perfect like God. I mean, if, if, if we could be perfect like God, we wouldn't need a Savior, but we're not perfect, so we need a Savior. So what in the world does this verse mean? I mean, it might be a little bit of a shortcoming with the English translation, but the word there for perfect means to meet the standard, to be mature, to be fully developed in the moral sense. And so it's not saying that you're expected to be sinless. There's no one here that's going to be sinless. But what it is saying is that by loving like this, loving your enemies, praying for those who persecute you, by doing that, you, you are fulfilling your purpose as a child of God. You're living like Christ. You are living, you're representing Christ and his kingdom in a right way. 
And we do that by loving our enemies. Honestly, that, that verse could conclude that, that whole section that I was talking about, about you know, having a greater righteousness than, than the scribes and Pharisees. Because this is the way you are a child of God. It's not merely that you don't murder, but you don't even hate. It's not merely that you don't commit adultery, but you don't even lust. It's not a matter of merely not lying or breaking oaths, but instead you have a lifestyle of truthfulness and integrity. It's not just a matter of merely not seeking revenge, but you actually do good, good to those who mistreat you. It's not a matter of merely not hating your enemies. You actually love your enemies, sacrificially, wanting their best. And when we do that, we're living for God, Christ's kingdom. Our righteousness is greater than the scribes and Pharisees, and we're most like our Heavenly Father. We're never going to do it perfectly in this life. We're never going to do it perfectly in the normal sense of the term, perfectly. And that's why it's so good to know that when we do fall short, we have a Savior and our sins are forgiven, our sins are covered, and the Holy Spirit will move us along. It doesn't mean we don't try, it's just we don't have to worry about losing God's love, as long as you're in Christ. Because Christ has turned us from enemies into children of God, and through us, he wants to love the rest of the world. Love your enemies. That's a tall order. But it's a Christ order. It is a value of the kingdom. I read this story about a Baptist pastor during the Revolutionary War. And his name was Peter Miller, and he lived in this small town of Ephrata, Pennsylvania. And he was friends with George Washington. But in that same little town of Ephrata, there was this man named Michael Whitman who was very evil-minded. He would do everything he could to oppose and humiliate the pastor. Well, one day, this evil man, Michael Whitman, was arrested for treason and sentenced to die. And so this is what this pastor did. Peter Miller traveled 70 miles on foot to Philadelphia to plead with George Washington for the life of this man who hated him and posed, opposed him, humiliated him, and generally it was just a pain. And so he goes up to General Washington and asks for his life, and, and General Washington said, no, Peter, I can't, give, I can't grant you the life of your friend. To which the preacher exclaims, my friend? What are you talking about? He's my most bitter enemy, the most bitter enemy I've ever had. And Washington says, what? You, you walked 70 miles to save the life of an enemy. Well, that puts matters in a different light. I'll grant you the pardon. And he did. And Peter Miller took Michael Whitman back home to Ephrata, no longer an enemy, but a friend, and eventually a brother in Christ. How have you shown love lately to anybody, much less an enemy? Is your, is your heart hard right now towards someone? Let, be honest with yourself. Yes, I, you know, I know we're supposed to give the churchy answers. But no one, no one can read your mind. Is there someone in your life that you just despise? That you hate? That you would consider an enemy. 
love that person. Easier for you to say, preacher, you don't know what he did. You don't know what she did. No, I don't. But you don't have to do it on your own. You have the Holy Spirit in you to love that person through you. It's God's love. So maybe you just want to come to the altar and, and just pray that God gives you the power, the strength, the ability to do that. Or maybe, maybe there's someone who you know has an issue with you and you want to pray about that. Or, or, or maybe you want to come to the altar and, and pray that, that, that the Holy Spirit would bear fruit through you in this world. That Christ's kingdom values would be lived through you in this world. You know, I think of the song that they sang and in the whole picture of Isaiah 6 and Isaiah saying, you know, woe is, woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips amongst the people of unclean lips. And you're just maybe overwhelmed with your weakness. Come to the altar and, and get his strength. You don't... You, can't do this Christianity thing alone. You're not called to do this Christianity thing alone. But through the power of the Holy Spirit. But maybe there are some here today, you're still enemies of God because you have never trusted in Jesus Christ. Because here's the thing. Getting to heaven, knowing God, being His child, is not a matter of well, I've got to check off these boxes. I've got to do the religious things that I'm supposed to do. As long as I don't kill anyone, I'm going to heaven. That's not the way it works. Our sin separates us from God, and we are God's enemy. And you don't want to die an enemy of God. Because once you die, there is no changing your mind. Here's another thing that the progressives will say. Oh, you can't preach on hell. That's not very loving. So what you're saying is it's more loving to let people die and go there than it is to actually warn them about it? What sense does that make? There is a hell. It is eternal. What it's like, I don't know. Never been there and I'm not going. And you don't have to either. You don't have to find out. But it's by trusting in Jesus Christ and trusting in Him alone that He died for you, that He rose again, and He's going to return one day. It's all about Jesus. You don't be an enemy of God. You don't want to die an enemy of God. You don't want to find out what it's like. Come to the one who loves you in spite of you being his enemy, such that he sent his son for you. Let him shower that love upon you. Believe in Jesus today. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. 
You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.